Well, good morning again, church. It is so good to see all of you. Those that don't know, my name is Greg. My wife, Amber, and I are the lead pastors here. I see a number of new faces and just so glad that you are here with us this morning. We also want to welcome those that are with us online. So glad that you are with us as well. And this is a fun day. For those who didn't know, today is the first day with our brand new audio system. Are you excited? It's all worked so far. Yay! There's no longer duct tape holding stuff together in the back room. Yay! It's awesome. Uh, well, hopefully both are online and in the room. This is a new experience. And just so you know, we got a new tool. But when you get a new tool, it doesn't mean you know how to use it perfectly right away. Okay? So give us a little grace over the next few weeks and months as we kind of learn how to use this thing. But already I know things are stronger than where they were uh, as of last week. And so thank you so much for those who have given uh, sacrificially uh, to be able to be a part of setting us up for this next season of ministry. Um, well, we are continuing in the series uh, that we've been over the last several weeks. And uh, we are in the series, I Am, as we are talking about the idea of identity, identity. And I've said this every week that every single one of us from an early age all the way until the end of our lives, we are asking one simple question, and it's this, who am I? Who am I? We're, we're trying to figure this thing out for ourselves. And what we've said throughout this is that as followers of Christ, the good news is we have an answer to that. We have been given an identity, and it's found in two words that we find in the New Testament that I think are the most important words, and it's this, in Christ. In Christ, you have an identity. In Christ, you have been given an identity that cannot be taken away from you, all right? I've used a visual illustration each week. It's this picture of the boat, right? And I said, listen, if you get in a boat, there are certain things that become true of you that have nothing to do with you right? You're in the boat. You're no longer wet. There might be resources in there. You don't have to strain against the water. Why? Because you're in the boat. Not because you're awesome, because you got in the boat. And the same thing is true when we follow Jesus. There are things that become true about us, not because we're so great, but simply because we are in Christ. And God's desire for every one of us is that we would live from our identity that we have received because we are in Christ. We live from that rather than living for all of the identities that the world tries to get us to get a hold of, okay? This is what we talked about. And so last week, uh, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch that message. Last week I said, I am a saint. <laughs> you are a saint. And we said, this is such a critical truth that we've got to get a hold of, but it feels really weird to say, doesn't it? Right? When we made, I made you say that last week, you guys started giggling at yourselves because it feels awkward to say, I am a saint. But here, here's what you got to understand, that the enemy doesn't want you to believe the truth. Why? Because if you start believing this stuff, you might actually start living like it. He doesn't want you to believe the truth. Okay? And last week, I ended the message by saying, we've got to stop eating the garbage. That a lot of us, we're eating the garbage, we're eating the lies, we're eating the things the enemy has told us, we're eating those lies or those things that have been spoken of our lives, even since we were children. We keep eating those things. And because of that, we got no room to eat the truth that God has for us. After last week's message, I had a number of people come talk to me. I had a guy come and say, listen, I've been struggling with some sexual stuff, and I recognize I, I got to stop eating that stuff. I've been playing in the mud. God has something better for me. I said, amen. There was a girl that came up to me and said, listen, I, I'm in this relationship. It's toxic. It's tearing me apart, and I just keep going back to it, and I keep eating the garbage. I'm like, God has something better for you. I had others respond, and I'm believing that God is speaking those things. Even this morning, he's going to continue to speak the areas of our life, those lies that we are believing, the things that end up going the 
the wrong way. They end up leading us into destructive habits. Why? Because we are not trusting in what God says, and instead we're believing what we think. And so this morning, I believe that Jesus wants you to know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free again today. Okay? If you got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 26. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 26. Would you stand with me across the room as we're going to read our primary text here this morning? It's just our tradition around here. If you're a first-time guest, we say this, you know, God's word matters more than my words. And so just as a way to do that, symbolize that, we, we stand just to reverence his word as we read together. Beginning in verse number 26, Galatians chapter 3 says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jump down to chapter 4, verse 4. It says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Let's pray. God, we we pray. This is not a truth I can convince us of. This is a truth we need your spirit to reveal to us. So God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Open our eyes to see the truth. We pray in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. So how many, when you were a kid, how many of you were afraid of the dark when you were a kid? Anybody afraid of the dark? (laughs) You were very bold about that. That's good. Okay, when, uh, how many of you have a kid right now who is afraid of the dark? You know, those, we got a kid in our house who's freaked out of the dark like, all the time. Okay, how many of you are still afraid of the dark? No, I'm not going to make you do that, okay? It's okay. It's okay. We'll keep the lights up in here. It's fine, guys. I'm not going to black us out or anything. But here's the deal. Uh, I had a belief when I was a kid. Maybe some of you had a similar belief. I had a belief when I was a kid, and it was this, that my blanket was an impenetrable force field. Did anybody else believe the same thing? And how do, I, how do I know this? Because when I got scared, when I thought I heard a sound, when I thought anything, what do you do? Whew, right? You pull the blanket up over your head, right? It can't get me. Superpowers, right? See, my, my behavior proved what I actually believed. And this is what we have to understand is our beliefs are constantly proving, uh, are proven by our behaviors. And I've said in this series that, that one of the major issues with this whole idea of identity is a truth crisis. We have a problem of, are we going to believe what God says? Or are we going to believe what others say or what we say about our own lives? And I brought a quote to you last week, and I want to remind you of this, because again, this is so critical for us. Do not miss this. The quote says this from Victory Over Darkness. People cannot consistently behave in ways that are inconsistent with the way they perceive themselves. Again, people cannot consistently behave in ways that are inconsistent with the way they perceive themselves. Your behavior tells us what you really believe. The way you behave is a reflection of what you genuinely believe. And hear this, when it comes to our identity in Christ, it's difficult to live the way God has called us if we don't really believe what he said about us. See, it's hard. We say, oh, I, I, I'm, suppo- I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. If we don't believe it, it's really hard to live as a redeemed person, right? 
We have to believe that we are redeemed. We have to believe that we are a saint. If we don't really believe we are a saint, it's going to be a tough work to be able to actually live that way because we perceive ourselves as something so less than that. This morning, we're going to look at one more principle that we must believe if we're going to actually live the way God has called us to. We're going to dig in uh, to this one. If you can pull it up on the notes, this is this. In Christ, we are adopted. In Christ, we are adopted. In Christ, we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. That's who we are. It's not whether we feel like sons or daughters. It's not whether we've earned that position or we feel like we deserve to be called sons and daughters of the king. In Christ, because we got in the boat, this is the spiritual reality of every believer. All right, so I want to go back to the text and see what do we learned here. In the uh, beginning of verse 26, it says this. So in Christ, you see those words all over the New Testament. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. When you place your faith in God, when you place your trust in God, when you place everything in him, that means that you are a child of God, all right? And so we, sometimes we ask the question, well, how does this work? Because I don't feel like a child of God. Like if he saw me, how many of you ever think about your own life? You think, man, if God saw me right now, man, what would he think about me? Because you know what you're really like, right? <laughs> like I know what I'm really like. I know the times I screw up. I know the times that I'm a jerk. I know the times when I say the wrong thing, when I do the wrong thing, when I don't say the right thing, when I don't do the right thing. I know all those times. And so it's very easy to, to look at myself and say, man, there's no way God would view me this way. But when we look at the very next verse, I think it helps explain why it is God can see and view us this way. What does it say? It says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You've closed yourself with Christ. And uh, Hunter, you got that for me? You want to hum head up here with me? Give me that. Give me that thing real quick. Come up on the stage with me if you can, okay? So this is the visual. This is Hunter's beautiful robe. I bet you he looks so cool when he wears this at home. It's kind of stinky, Hunter. <laughs> you shouldn't wash this thing before. But this is what it means. See, a lot of times we say, well, here's me and all of my imperfections, right? And all of, sorry, Hunter. <laughs> here's me and all my... And we say, God, how does he view me and look at me as if I'm a, I'm a son? Like, that makes no sense. But it says in Christ, what we are clothed in Christ. We're clothed in Christ. You're like a Star Wars character right now or something. <laughs> clothed in Christ. So what does it mean? When we're in Christ, rather than seeing us in our imperfections, God now sees Christ in his purity. It says his righteousness is placed on us like a coat here. And see, this is the thing that we have a hard time understanding. We're like, oh, I'm deficient, I'm deficient. Yeah, that's why we're in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel, is that it is not your righteousness that purchases the position of a child of God. It is Christ's righteousness. Why do we sing, oh, Christ be magnified? Because he did for us what we can never do for ourselves. Okay? That's the gospel. Awesome. Thank you, Hunter. Okay. All right, so we, so we get into this text, and all right, we recognize, okay, so we're children for that reason. We go on in the passage. It goes into verse number 28. It says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one in Christ Jesus, okay? 
I, I just think this is a critical thing for us to recognize because a lot of times we come and we will look at other people and we think, oh, well, they're better than I am. God's using them in a deeper way than he's using me. Oh, you know, we begin to compare. And what we have to understand is in Christ, we are one. There is a sense of unity here. We are all in the same position. It's not, we're not here because we bring more value, because we're more talented than that person is, so therefore I have more value. No, we are all one in Christ because we're all here for the same reason. It's him, not us. And this isn't what the message is about today, but I do want to just say this, because we live in a world right now that is increasingly divisive, increasingly trying to fragment people into factions and to different thoughts, right? That's the world we live in. And social media only throws gasoline onto that. Everybody gets separated. Did you hear what it said, right? The, the goal of the gospel and the goal of the church is that we would look different than the world does. And what scares me is that sometimes the philosophies of the world try to creep into the church. And we, just like the world, are trying to divide everybody up into different groups. And, oh, these, these people, I don't know. In Christ, listen, we're supposed to look like a family. And guess what? It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't matter if you've got education or none. It doesn't matter what your interests are. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your family history is, what your race is. It doesn't matter what any of those things are. In Christ... We are one. We should look like one, okay? And this is what should be so enticing to a world outside who looks at this diverse group that does not all look the same, and yet there is a love here that is abiding, a love that is eternal. See, this is what we're called to, okay? We're called to something different than what the world does. May we look like that, all right? So we go on, and I want to jump ahead to uh, verse, chap- or verse 4 of chapter 4, okay? It says this. It says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, being Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. You know what the law says? You're a sinner and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what the law says. And he came to buy you back, to do what you could not do for yourself. That's the good news of the gospel. It goes on, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, some of you ladies out there are like, what about me? You need to understand the importance of sonship at this time to understand how important that is, okay? Because you get sonship too, all right? We go on and it says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now, here's what you have to understand. When we read that, we're like, Abba, Father, like Abba, Father. That's how we talk. What you have to understand, the Abba is Aramaic, And that was the Aramaic word for the very casual reference to their dad. And so this for us, more realistically, would be as if we get to call the creator of the universe, dad. Is that not a bizarre concept, right? The creator God, perfect, holy, righteous, king of all, we get to call dad. My prayer is that the revelation of that truth would dig into our hearts because I don't think we get it. I don't think we understand it. We don't realize it, and I've got to be honest, most of us don't really believe it, that truth. 
It goes on, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. There are privileges that come along with being God's child. I want to read something to you because to understand the importance and what this really means, this idea of adoption, you have to understand what adoption looked like in biblical times and specifically in the Roman world during this time, which is what Paul is writing into. And, uh, you know, at that time, you know, we think about adoption, we think about you adopt a little baby. That's no big deal, right? Uh, At this time, understand this. Uh, We, you know, we can write a will and leave our wealth and property to anyone we want, male or female. In the Roman world, with few exceptions, a man had to pass his wealth onto his son or sons. If a man had no sons or he felt that his sons were incapable of managing his wealth or were unworthy of it, he would have to adopt someone who would make a worthy son. These adoptions were not infant adoptions as is common today. They were older boys and men oftentimes. When the adoption was legally approved, hear this, the adoptee would have all his debts canceled and would receive a new name. He would be the legal son of his adoptive father and entitled to all the rights and benefits of a son. A father could disown his natural born son, but an adoption was irreversible. Think about the reality of what that means. In Christ, what? You are adopted. And when you are adopted, you are made clean. Your debts have been paid on your behalf by your king. All right? But more than that, you have been given a new name. You are redeemed, not because you're great, but because he bought you back. That's the reality of you. And now you are not just a son. You are an heir that has an inheritance that is eternal and that is amazing. The fullness of what God has is available to you simply because he He chose you. The only difference between a Roman adoption and God's adoption is we didn't get adopted because he thought we were awesome. He adopted it because he has grace for us. That's the good news. And so in that, we are sons and daughters of the king. Our heavenly father, our dad is the king of the universe. To help us understand this idea of adoption, I've got a friend with me this morning. There's a buddy of mine. Uh, we served on staff at Cedar Valley for many years together, uh, and now we actually support his ministry. He's a Chi Alpha, Chi Alpha director at St. Thomas, as well as he's the guy who started up 30 for Freedom that we get to partner in. Can you give it up for my buddy, Brent Silky? Awesome, awesome. So excited to have you here with us this morning, Brent. Um, Brent has a crazy story um, that I think really connects with what, what God's trying to speak to our hearts this morning. So my prayer is that his story would help dig this truth a little deeper into your heart. So why don't you tell us uh, this first story? You were adopted uh, in our physical world. You were adopted. So why don't you tell us a little bit of that story? Good morning, Zoe Church. It's good to see all of you and those online as well. I want to give a little backdrop of context for my story. So imagine, does anyone remember middle school? Really awesome, shining time of life sometimes, right? (laughs) So imagine being in middle school, coming from a divorced home, very poor, and so poor that you had to drop out in the equivalent of our eighth grade, right? This This is my biological mom. So she's coming from a broken home, impoverished situation, and she meets through mutual friends. She meets this guy, they fall in love, and then they fall out of love. They cut ties, 
and a few months later she discovers she's pregnant. Here she is, the same age as a high school senior, and she is freaking out what to do. So first of all, I look at this situation, and my heart goes out to her, and I think, thank you, Jesus, you chose a full-term pregnancy. And then she made a decision. The second decision she made was that she was going to, it's an impossible decision, it's a courageous one, but to give her baby, Kim Young-Joon, the opportunity for a different kind of life. So literally, the, on my, I actually have a picture of this. On my birth record, on the bottom there, it says legal status, illegitimate, orphan status, abandoned by mother. Hmm. And when I've shared my adoption story at different places, a lot of times it's with youth or with college students. People come up to me afterwards and they say, hey, I wasn't like born like legally illegitimate, but I can relate with not feeling good enough. Yeah. I can relate with never feeling like I measure up or feeling like an imposter. And the second thing people say is, I wasn't abandoned necessarily by my biological family, but I have felt the abandonment feeling throughout my life at different points, relationships, whatever it might be. And so when I look at this story, this is not a good origin story at first, right? <laughs> yeah. this, this is a pretty depressing origin story. So Kim Young-Joon is illegitimate, abandoned orphan by an impoverished teenage girl. You have to pause the story to recognize the significance of who God is and what he's doing in this. Yeah. 30 years earlier, sitting on the top stair of a farmhouse in, in small town South Dakota, there's this 10-year-old girl flipping through a magazine. It's a National Geographic. She gets done flipping through, and she, she turns it over to the cover. And on the cover, there's two South Korean boys. And at 10 years old, God drops a dream in her heart to have kids that look like that one day. 30 years, so fast forward now 30 years. September 5th, 1986, Doug and Carol Silkey drive to MSP. You can get emotional, Greg. Uh, they drive to MSP, and this is before you, had, you could go right up to the gate. And they went up to the gate, and they had someone with one of those big, humongous VHS, yeah. you know, tape recorders, <laughs> and they were filming all of this, and this illegitimate, abandoned orphan is brought off of the plane, and Doug and Carol Silkey, who, who had this dream for 30 years, right, they're waiting to receive this little guy, me, and they put me in, I have a picture of my uh, being put in my mom's arms, and this, that, that's the moment that I went from being Kim Young-Joon, illegitimate, abandoned orphan, changed my name yeah. to Brent Douglas Silkey, and I yeah. became a son adopted into the Silkey family. So cool. That's so amazing. So awesome. So what I love about his story is that that's not the only adoption you've had then. Um, there's another adoption that took place, a spiritual adoption. So why don't you tell us a little bit of your story of how you came to faith? Does anyone know Micah Mack? <laughs> oh, you know Mike and Mac. Yes, yes, yes. So I knew Mike and Mac and Chris Roush and Laura Velasco uh, way back in like Metcalf junior high days. Yeah. And they were in a youth service. Youth, I'm talking to you for a minute. They were in a youth service. And the youth pastor said, what would happen if you prayed every day for a friend to come to truly know who Jesus Christ is? So in eighth grade, they started praying for a lost friend. I was adopted into the Silky family, but spiritually I was still an orphan and still, still very lost. So in eighth grade, they started praying for me every day. They would invite me to church, to camp, to youth convention, to all the different things. And I said the same thing every time they invited me. No, thanks. <laughs> but You're so polite, at least. So polite. So, you know, silky is, you know, I think, polite people. Um, they, so they continued to invite me. And they came to a point when I was a freshman in college. So this is where my heart goes out to our Tommies and all of our college students and young adults. I was in a, such a broken and lost place. Yeah. That when Micah said, hey, would you want to come to youth group tonight? I was like, I actually, I think I need to. <laughs> and I was so broken and so lost. I didn't feel comfortable like in the actual service. So I sat in the farthest back seat I could find. 
And that night I heard about the love of Jesus in a way that would change my life forever. I heard that he loves me so much, there's nothing I could do so bad that would make him love me less than he does. And there's nothing I could do so good that I could earn his love. Because his love doesn't change because he doesn't change. Yeah. And I remember I didn't I was too prideful to raise my hand. <laughs> so I looked, I, I was I like got down in, in the back in the pew, if you remember Cedar Valley, um, when they had pews. I got in section B, I got down and I just said, Lord, I am broken, I am a sinner, I need you to forgive me. I'll do whatever you want me to do, go wherever you want me to go, but I want to follow you. So that's the day I got in the boat. That's the day when I went from being in a spiritual orphan yeah. to becoming part of God's family. Yeah, so good. And, and I would just say this uh, twofold. I just say, you don't know the power of an invitation for somebody's life. Like there are people in your life, I just, I just think the impact that you have had as a youth pastor, as a Chi Alpha director, as a, you know, the ministry you've done in rescuing girls, all of that, none of that would have taken place if somebody hadn't persevered and said, I'm going to invite someone to join. And so every one of us, we don't know the stories that are unwritten because we have been unwilling to extend the hope of Christ to somebody. That's, that's one piece. But the other piece is I, I actually, I saw and knew of you before I ever met you uh, because I had heard, Mike had told me about this crazy guy at Burnsville. And I show up to a Burnsville football game and he's like all decked out. It was like, it was like after you had already graduated and he's just decked out in Burnsville colors and all this kind of, it seemed like the life of the party, seemed like the fun crazy all over, but didn't realize that inside you were feeling spiritually dead. And that's another truth is that you don't know the people who think they got it all together. You think they got it all together? They may not, okay? And they desperately, desperately need Christ. So why don't you, you know, so this is a unique thing for you. You've had the, you know, a physical adoption and the spiritual. Like, to, Why don't you talk about your salvation in the realm of that adoption idea? Yeah. So I think that for me, understanding a passage like we read this morning, like I, I think about like I was literally an orphan. And I don't know if, if there's any other adoptees in the room, but I've, I've been on social media sites. Like I have my birth mother's name, like looking for her. And when the search results come up, I'm like, could that be my birth mother? Could that be my birth mother? Right? All these things. So I, I read that passage a little bit differently, just out of my personal experience. And then I think about how lost I was spiritually. Like, I grew up going to church. I can go, I can go to AT&T Stadium where the Cowboys play, our favorite team. And I can go there, and I can stand on the star at the 50-yard line, but it doesn't make me a cowboy. Yeah. And I went to church every week, but that didn't make me a follower of Christ. I wasn't yet in Christ. Yeah. So when I finally like went all in and got in the boat and God like changed my life and changed everything, I'm like, wow, I was not only physically adopted into the Silky home and Silky family, but I was now spiritually adopted into the family of God. And that changes everything because I don't see things now as this yeah. outside person looking into the church. I see this. I get to be a part of what God's doing yeah. and serve his kingdom and serve the family and invite other people in. There's yeah. a world that is desperately in need. They're orphans. They're, they're needing the hope that we have, church. And yep. if we can just invite them in, extend that invitation, that can literally change everything, and it can change generations of family lines forever. So good. So good. So good. We have no idea the, what God will do in a person's life when they encounter Christ. Yeah. We just don't know. We, we can't comprehend it. And seeing your story is one of those things. And so, so there's more than just the, this invitation, but there's this revelation, I think, as we understand our adoption, it gives us a revelation of the heart of who God is at the same time. Like, you're a dad now, right? You've got kids. Like, you know what it is to love a child in a different way than you ever have before. Why don't you talk about your understanding of who God is as your father now 
now that you know what it's like to be a father. For sure. So when we found out my wife was pregnant for the first time, I remember the prayer that I specifically prayed. I said, God, you're my heavenly father. Please help me understand what it means to have the heart of a father as I become a father. And uh, one of the things about being adopted is that I would see families that were all biologically related and see a resemblance. And I was always like, oh, that is so cool. I can tell that you're family because you look like each other. It's awesome. And I never felt like I was missing that or that I was like somehow like shortchanged by, by the situation. But I've always like been fascinated, like genuinely fascinated by that. So what I remember in the, in the, the operating room, in the, in the birthing room, when my daughter Belle, my oldest, was born, they put, the nurse put this little girl in my arms, and I've been praying for months, months and months and months for this little girl. And I looked down, and the first time I looked at her, I just lost it. Yeah. And it was this prayer that I had prayed starting to be answered by God. I just felt this overwhelming love of a father for her. And at the same time, I realized that this was the first person that I'd ever laid eyes on that had a resemblance with me. <laughs> It was so powerful. So now you cried more, and uh, that happened with Claire. You never cry. I never cry. I, I never, never cry before. Uh, every day. And uh, when Claire was born, um, the same kind of thing happened. And then when Henry was born, my little guy down there, he's like got the pose going on. Uh, Henry, when he was born, it was like a whole different deal having a little boy. And now when baby Josiah came into the world, so um, being a father, um, it's, it's really changed my worldview. Like yeah. the, the decisions that I make as a dad, they don't just impact me, they impact my wife, they impact four silky kids. <laughs> and I'm thankful I look back to that eighth grade moment that Micah and Chris said, hey, we need to pray for our lost friend. Yeah. Because, because of their faithfulness in prayers, because of their constant invitation, it literally is changing generations of my family forever. Yeah, so good, so good. So, you know, I grew up in church, and I had always known of the love of God. You hear, you know, teenagers, you hear about it. Adults, we hear it talked about all the time. God loves you, this love, love, or whatever. For me, it took a, a revelatory moment for me to actually get, oh, that's what the love of God is like. When I was, uh, my first son was probably six, eight months old at the time, and my wife was taking him with her to work, and so um, they left early in the morning, and so I'm in my hallway um, at my last house, just pacing back and forth, praying in the morning. And at the end of the hallway was his bedroom. And on the wall of his bedroom was a picture of Levi, just when he was like three months old or something like that. And every time I would get to the end of the hallway to turn around, I would see that picture. I'm like, oh, cute picture, you know, and I would see it. And I had this moment where I hit the end of the hallway one time and I looked at that picture and I had just a, like a fuzzy dad moment thought. And I just like, I remember thinking about, I just love that kid so much. It was just this warm feeling I had, you know, just like a kid. And I turned, and it was like I hit a wall. And I, I, I don't have lots of these moments, but I had a moment. It was like God said, that's how I feel about you. And as it, I had never understood God's love. Because I came from a position of, to some extent, I got to strive to earn his love. If I do the right things, then the love of God is there. And the revelation of, listen, my, my little six-month-old can do nothing for me, can do nothing for me. He could not provide anything. And yet my love for him, I would give my life for him. I would do anything for him. I would lay myself down for him. And in that moment, I turned. I felt that love of God. I hit my knees, and I bawled for about 10 minutes because it was this revelatory moment of that's the love of God for us. That's what it means to be children. And in Christ, that's the spiritual reality of us. 
that we don't get into a position where we earn God's love, where we strive for God's love. It is the spiritual reality that we have. We are his kids. doesn't matter what we do in that moment. We are his children. See what great love the Lord has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is who we are. That's how John wrote about it in 1 John chapter 3. It's a beautiful promise. And so what I want to get is I want to close with our big so what this morning. Because it's great. Okay, we're adopted. What do we do with that? Here's the big so what. The adopted shouldn't live like orphans. The adopted shouldn't live like orphans. You see, how we view our relationship to God impacts how we relate to God. And when we view our relationship or review God in some distant, cold God, this powerful God who we have to try and appease so he will like us, it will affect the way we behave. It affects the way we live our lives. It affects what we will bring to him and what we try to keep from him. But when we begin to have a revelation of God is our heavenly father, our heavenly dad who loves us intimately, who has purchased us and invited us into his family, it changes the way we relate to God. See, how does an orphan live? Orphans trying to make it on their own. Try to figure it out on your own. You are your source. You are your supply. That's all you've got. I've got to make this thing happen all on my own. But I think about my kids when they were really young. My kids when they were like two years old. Now they think they're big stuff, you know, and they, they can figure stuff out on their own. But when they were like two, they didn't worry about anything. They weren't, weren't worried like, where's the next meal going to come from, right? Does dad have enough money to buy food today? You don't worry about that. They were secure. They, they could just play. They didn't have to worry about what are people thinking about me. No, my dad's here. I'm comfortable. I've got everything I need. There's a confidence that comes when they were around me. When there was something that they were afraid of, they didn't try to figure it out on their own. They came running to me immediately. Dad, 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 fix this. Solve this. I need you. And I was excited to respond and help. How weird would it be? How disappointed would I be? How frustrated would I be if my kids acted like orphans? If my kids, when they had a problem, they wouldn't even come to me to talk to me because they were trying to hide it from me. They didn't want me to know. They, they thought they had to figure it out on their own. If I found them in the back trying to dig food out of a garbage can because they thought they had to get their own provision, they thought they were their own source, how I would be like kids. Do you understand? You have no idea how much I love you and care for you. And yet, if we're honest, so many of us live just like that. We have been invited to be the children of God, and yet we live like orphans. We don't come to Him as our source. We're not looking to Him and say, what, is, what do you have to say? What are the promises that you've given me? Instead, we're living all on our own, making it our own way. And God says, Don't live that way. I didn't save you. To be an orphan. I save you to be my child. And you have an inheritance that has been sealed up in heaven for you. And there is a fullness coming, but right now the reality is you are my children. Can we live that way? Can we receive that? There are times when we make mistakes, we struggle with things, and rather than bringing them to God, we try to hide them from God. Knock, knock, knock. He already knows. <laughs> 
Why are we hiding stuff from him? There are times when my kids do stupid things, and I know it, (laughs) but I still love it when they come and tell me so we can work through this together. That's who our God is. Would we approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we have an advocate who is calling us, and he first and foremost calls us sons and daughters? Before you are, for me, I look at think of my own life. Before I am a husband, before I am a dad, before I am a pastor or a leader or a boss, I'm a son. And most of us walk around our lives exhausted because we think we're the source. We start from a position of, who am I on my own? What if everything started from a position of receiving? The first thing I do is I remind myself I'm God's child. So as the pastor here, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can. But at the end of the day, the most important role I have is son. I'm a son of the king. He's my source. Everything I have is in response to what he has already given me. It it sets me free. And the same thing is true for every one of us. But will we believe the truth or will we believe the lies? I want to pray over every one of us here this morning. But at at the end, I want to give an opportunity because I believe there are somebody here today. There's at least one person here today who today is your day of spiritual adoption. Today is your day to step into the kingdom of God for the very first time. Whether you're in the room or whether you are online, this is the day of salvation for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes across the room? Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you that you are speaking to our hearts. God, we desperately need you to reveal these truths to our hearts, Lord. God, I pray right now for that person who needs to respond to you. God, they have been living like an orphan. They have not recognized your goodness and your invitation into the kingdom of God. And Lord, I pray right now you would grip their hearts. With every head bow and every eye closed across the room, I'm going to ask you right now, that is you. You know it. You, you may have a family here on earth, but you have been living like an orphan You do not know Jesus. You have never stepped into the boat and surrendered your life to Christ and received the greatest title you could ever receive, son or daughter of the King of Kings. And if that is you this morning and you want to respond to Jesus for the very first time or to to respond to him and return to him, I'm going to invite you right now to lift a hand across the room to say, that's me. I want to respond to Jesus and receive a new title over my life, to receive a new name. Yes, yes. Anyone else across the room that want to respond to Jesus for the very first time? Say, I want to respond to him. That's you. I want you to respond. Pray in your own hearts as I pray right now. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much that you have invited us into something deeper. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. God, I I ask for your forgiveness. I lay myself down and I, I submit myself to you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and that I need someone to save me. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would save me. I make you the Lord and the leader of my life, and I give myself completely to you. God, help me to live for your glory and to live as your son and daughter. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For everyone else, I want to invite you to stand across the room. I'm going to ask Brent. Brent, would you pray a prayer over every single person in this room that we would take hold of our identity in Christ? For those of you who just raised your hand or maybe you prayed that prayer in your heart, 
Um, there's a significant term for every adoptee. It's called gotcha day. That's the day that you went from being an orphan to being a son or a daughter. So I just want to celebrate that yeah. and I want to pray for those as well. That's awesome. That made that decision. Happy gotcha day to you in the spiritual <laughs> That's sense. awesome. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you gave everything and paid the price that we could not pay, oh God, so that we could step into the boat and become sons and daughters of the living God. This morning, I thank you, Lord, for those who have responded to you online and in person, Lord, to, be, to step in to what it means to be an adopted son or daughter in the family of God. I pray today, God, that that core identity would be so strong in them, God, that they would look differently, they would live differently, God, they would act differently, and people would take notice, oh God. It would, it would, it would would have conversations come yes, and say what is different about you and they could say i have been adopted into god's family and you can too Raise your name, so jesus. lord we thank you for your word we Raise thank you for name, the God. powerful truth of i am and lord today we celebrate being sons and daughters of the king of kings and the lord yeah. of lords we love thank you lord jesus. we thank you in jesus name amen, amen.